My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, 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 and welcome to the post credit pod. Eric Italiano, Senior Entertainment Editor at Bro Bible. Brandon Katz, Senior Entertainment Reporter at Observer. Today, there's not much news going on in the world. There's nothing trending. There's nothing hot topic. There's nothing catching all the headlines. So we thought instead of our normal introduction, we're just going to hop right into our main topic. Now, on Friday, we still will still have our regular Mandalorian episode recap, review, analysis, evaluation, whatever you want to call it. Make sure you come back for that. But for today, in honor of David Fincher's Mank hitting Netflix on December 4th, we are going to be doing a David Fincher Project Fantasy Draft. Now, this is very similar to our previous superhero movie draft. First of all, Brandon, the fact that you say project and not movie already clues me in to where your head is at. So I'm uh, already up I, on you. I, I, think, I think you might be putting too much stock into it. You know, I got some stuff on the list, but... It's not necessarily the first one on my list. Okay, okay. But essentially what this is, is that our goal, me and Eric, is to draft the best three-project team of David Fincher's career. And if one of us takes a a movie or TV show, the other person cannot take that. Do we want to explain why we landed on three and not top five like we did the last time? Or Well, because including Mank, which we haven't seen. David Fincher has made 11 live action projects between feature films and TV shows. And five each would have been kind of stressing, stretching that, uh, that viability. You know, I don't think either of us are necessarily chomping at the bit to draft the game in our first couple rounds. Right, exactly. Okay, cool. Just so we're on the same page. No, of course. We got to let the fans know. You're always right, Eric. So as part of this, essentially, we're going to each take turns drafting a project. Uh, The other person, the opponent, can then have a pseudo-rebuttal conversation where it's more so we're going to just digest the film a little bit, talk a little bit about that. But if the person wants, they can point out maybe why the other person made a poor pick or something of that nature. So a little bit of debate, a little bit of argument between Eric and I, and anyone who has seen our superhero fantasy draft can attest to uh, our, our heated arguments in these formats. Well, and then I was just going to tack on, and then at the end we'll we'll put the teams up on Twitter, and y'all can vote to see who has the best team. The first draft we did, I absolutely dominated you, Brandon. I think I won by a score of like 85 to 15%. Well, that's because uh, the whole world's made of plebeians. But yes, I, I concede <laughs> you beat me. Uh, so you've got to bounce back tonight. Big time. <laughs> All right. And the first step in bouncing back is we're going to do a coin toss to see who gets the first pick. Last draft, Eric did buy a coin toss. I got it right here, Eric. I want you to call heads or tails. This is a big one. I think first pick in this draft is big. For the way Especially the because it's a smaller draft with a smaller selection than superhero movies, which also included original superhero movies not based on comic books. So, so. so are, are you using the Google one? No, I'm using a literal coin in my hand. Oh, you're using a real coin. Oh, then Tails. Okay. Tails. <laughs> yeah, Tails never fails. All right. Yeah. Tails, my friend, yeah, you have the first Let's pick. go, let's go. Huge. Congratulations Huge. to you. All right, I'm coming from behind the ball in both drafts with pick number two, but I make up for it with crafty veteran savvy. Hey, hey, it's not having the first pick. It's having the best picks. And I think he has enough projects to sustain a solid three-man team. Now, with that said, with my first pick, for me, there's only really two films that you could take here. And that's the social network and that's Zodiac. I think I'm in complete and 100% unison. I don't think we've ever been more on the same page in the history of this podcast. Now you could perhaps argue Fight Club for its popular cultural merits. This was a, that film was a huge deal. It still sort of is a huge deal. And I would say more so than Seven really established Fincher as like a top, because whereas Seven made him like a like a talent to watch. Fight Club made him like a blockbuster name. Now, all that said, despite vague thoughts of crazily taking Fight Club with my first pick, I'm not going to do that. 
And after watching Zodiac today, I am not going to take that either. So with my number one pick in my draft, I am taking 2010's The Social Network. I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles. I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours. Thousand. 22,000. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? You stole our website. They're saying we stole the Facebook. I know what it said. So did we? The reason that, that I do that is there's a few reasons there. First of all, I think, depending on who you talk to, most people in our space has that film consistently being among the top five of the last 20 years. Certainly one of the best films of the 2010s, where is when I formed my opinions and thoughts of a movie writer. This is probably his most rewatchable film. Today, as I watch Zodiac, which, which I felt was overly long, and Seven, which I found to just be soul-crushingly dark. The Social Network is a breezy, watchable, informative, impeccably written shot scored. It is David Fincher crossing over with Aaron Sorkin, both at the peak of their absolute powers. And the result is a character study of a man and a company who would go on to shape our lives far more than we ever realized at the time. To the extent that the social network only gets better with age as time passes because of how powerful Facebook has become. So with all that said, when you combine its filmmaking chops and its cultural relevance, not only do I think the social network is one of Fincher's best films, I think it's one of the best films I've ever seen. Yeah, it's just... I don't have a rebuttal. You really can't. Uh, so in my notes, I had Zodiac and Social Network as my top two contenders as well. And I think of the Social Network in much the same way I think of James Brown's band. Uh, the Godfather of Soul was infamous for his incredibly high demands and expectations in order to create the most well-oiled and impeccably co composed band possible. Similarly, I think the Social Network works basically at every level. Script direction, performance, uh, often biopics are insufferably boring. They're so conventional conventional and formulaic. But so Social Network, as you mentioned, written by Aaron Sorkin, wisely details the rise of Facebook and where that intersects with Mark Zuckerberg, the character, rather than tell the story of Mark Zuckerberg, which includes the rise of Facebook. And that may seem like a simple distinction, but it makes a world of difference when you're actually watching the product. I mean, everything you said, I completely agree with. It's a very modern composition in terms of focus, execution, filmmaking. Fincher does an unbelievable job economically conveying avalanches of information with acute clarity and great creativity. And it's also memorable as a visual construction. I think when you say social network to most film fans, immediately they think of, uh, the Harvard rowing scene or the party scenes with Justin Timberlake, something something that sticks out in their mind. As or even that Trent Reznor score. I mean, from yes. top to bottom, it is a perfect film. I'm curious, Brandon, was this going to be your first pick? So Zodiac was going to be my first pick. Now, I will explain that, but in, in one second, Social Network is... I believe the safer pick. And that's not a criticism of what you, you just did. It is probably on paper, the right pick. Zodiac to me though, is an understated thriller driven more by the characters and their conversations than the grisly murders that it com covers. You got four crime scenes, not a single usable print. You can't think of this case in normal police terms. He's breaking the pattern. Lana said you were a cartoonist. Oh yeah. <laughs> what are you doing at a gun range? I just want to help. What are you, some kind of boy scout? Eagle scout, actually, first class. Well, I've been thinking. Oh God, say was there's no evidence, Robert. What do you mean there's no evidence? You have him seen with the ciphers, the military boot prints, the bloody knife. All circumstantial. Why do you need to do this? Because nobody else will. Dave, you made a mistake! Get away from the window. Paul, are you okay? No. Why'd you do it? You put your face out there for him to see. I, I think Fincher manages to 
induce this paralyzing anxiety with mere atmospheric suggestion and produce an electric thriller that thrives without the gore of its mainstream contemporaries in the genre. Uh, Zodiac, like I said, a character-first mystery with a dynamite cast. Your boy, Jake Gyllenhaal. My boy, Mike, Mark Ruffalo. Everybody's boy, Robert Downey Jr. It is this unsettling tone that makes your stomach extremely queasy. And while I totally agree, it is a commitment at 157 minutes, Fincher's meticulous reconstruction of 1970s San Francisco is worth every second because the tension and fear of the era is palpable. So overall, I believe Zodiac is his best and most complete movie, whereas The Social Network may be his most commercially quality film of all. And I, and I don't think that's a criticism of Social Network either. I just think Zodiac's highs are, are a little bit higher despite the running time. And frankly, I, I love every single frame in that movie. I don't think there's a false note. And just fun fact, do you remember the scene since you watched it today where he is in the basement of the movie theater, you know, uh, poster developer guy? Yes, sir. Very creepy. Yep. Yep. That is that is my dad's former child friend, who oh, uh, no Charlie kidding. Fleischer, who was also the voice of Roger Rabbit. No kidding, that's a yeah. fun fact. Yeah, that I is met, a, I met him and his mother. And you know he, that guy was a comedian, and I think in that scene, damn, he's great as this yeah. unsettling presence. So yep. I, I'm going with Zodiac while still saying that you can't go wrong with Social Network whatsoever. Now, I mean, this worked out great. We both got the picks that we wanted. So really, the third pick in this draft is now the most key pick because probably from here is where we'll diverge a bit. Right. Um, now, let me ask you: when these two films are brought up in the film Twitter world. They're usually tossed around as two of the best films of the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, but I would agree with you you that Social Network is probably higher on the overarching ranking of, you know, 20th, 21st century films. Okay, so, uh, so, yeah, because what I I was going to ask is, do you give these these films the same sort of legacy-fulfilling praise that most do? Yes, I do. I, I love the social network and I love the Zodiac. I just, okay. I just happen to think Zodiac is better pound pound for pound, beat for beat than social Zo- network. Zodiac today, as I watched, I think my number one takeaway is that it unfolds like a cinematic novel. It feels less well of said. a it feels less of a film and more of a visual book. And that's I like to- that kind of grandiose nature though, and I understand how it'd be off putting for some. And that's down to detail and that's down to pacing and i'm sure it's all on purpose this is a story about meticulous people looking over the same facts over and over again but while i do enjoy that sort of novel-esque quality to it i still believe he could have chopped off 15 minutes uh and it would have made a world of difference there's a period there between the end and between avery's sort of firing that I find to be dull, despite the fact that we're with my boy, Jake G, for much of that time. I will say this. Can you think of a better three-headed lead than those three? It's really hard. If I had a list in front of me, we could really kind of hash it out. But off the top of my head, that's just a damn good trio. I wrote down in my notes, these are perhaps three of the best actors of the last... 20 years, all of them. They're all different ages, sort of. Downey Jr.'s 56. I think Ruffalo is about 48. Not at the time, now. Right, right. Uh, And Jake G is about 40. So you've got three guys sort of at different stages of their career, but who all sort of end up in the same place. These guys are supremely well-liked, supremely respected A-list guys. And the fact that they were captured in this moment in time where they could all fit in this film is awesome. Really cool. And before we move on to your next pick, I want to just do a quick comparison. In terms of leaving you on a thought-provoking, emotional, moving, impactful note, I think Jake Gyllenhaal's brief confrontation with beloved character actor John Carroll Lynch, who has literally never turned into a bad performance, 
that's the big guy who plays late, right? Yeah, exactly. Who who is suspected of being Zodiac, and you've seen him in a million things, and he's always good. I think that brief scene is far more impactful than Zuckerberg refreshing his friend request to to his ex girlfriend, and so on. I'm I'm that's not the only criteria to judge a film how it leaves you, but in terms of how it left me and, and what I thought about and felt more. Zodiac over social network in terms of last scene moments. Well, you're looking at the last image. What about the last line? Whereas in the social network, I love the line where um, Rashida Jones. Yes, thank she, you. She looks at Mark and she says, Mark, you're not an asshole. You just try so hard to be. And then he asks, he's like, do you think it'd be okay if I stay and use the uh, computer? And she's like, yeah, I'm sure that'd be fine. I think you have to look at that scene as a whole because when you look at the refreshing in a vacuum, I think it's weak. But I think in the context of the scene, that works for me. That said, just because I'm standing up for my pick, I do agree with you in terms of that lingering feeling that you get. I, I also think both of those film films end in fact dumps. Uh, Good point. Yeah, and I and I find them to both work very well. The Facebook one points out that Zuckerberg is the youngest billionaire of all time, while <laughs> Zodiac points out that Gray Smith claims to have stopped receiving calls since Arthur Lee Allen died. They both leave you on this sort of, not ruminative, but uh, perspective questioning thought is extremely compelling and effective in both contexts yeah for sure great great observation eric you're coming you're coming with your a game today all right all right all right well because all right well this is where i get nervous now because i don't think it's as cut and dry from this point today i watched seven because i was expecting i think when you ask people what are fincher's three best movies I think Seven probably cracks that. I can't really speak to what it was at the time. You know, Brad Pitt was just starting to become a star. Fincher was an up-and-coming name. So I'm sure the context of viewing it then is different than the context of viewing it now. But reviewing it now, and I I don't know why I'm talking about Seven, because I'm not going to pick it. (laughs) But I, I, I guess I just want to explain why. Outside of the infamous twist ending i don't think it's all that dramatic a lot of the tension lies in the grotesqueness of the crimes and not of the inherent drama of the plot he's always one step ahead of them both i never at any point feel like they're actually going to catch him i am almost dreading them showing up at the next crime scene because of how gruesome it is And I found it to be a grating watch. I find that film to be more dependent on its iconic moment than it is on the quality of its actual content. So with that said, with my second pick and the number three overall, I am taking Fight Club. This is how I met Tyler Durden. Come on, hit me before I lose my nerve. Ow! Hit me in the ear! It was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Can I be next? We just gave it a name. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is... Wow, nice. You do not talk about Fight Club. Is that your blood? Some of it, yeah. After Fight Club, we all started seeing things Fight Club is sort of the... The I think I'm smart man's film. Like, oh, bro, you want to get woke on capitalism? Watch Fight Club. And I think that that sort of rep has dragged it down throughout the years, how it's become the stereotypical dorm room poster. But that said, I think Fight Club is one of the most iconic films of Brad Pitt's career. Probably Fincher's most name-worthy film. It has created a genre unto itself where, not unto itself, but the same way Tarantino has spawned, you know, you love that uh, lucky number number seven. Tarantino light. There's so many imitators of Fight Club. Exactly, exactly. It spawned a genre unto itself. I put it in that Shutter Island class of 
when you watch it that first time, that twist blows you away. But whereas Shutter Island, I feel, loses some steam once you find out that twist, Fight Club doesn't. And that is a very important thing to me because even though knowing the twist unravels everything you've seen before, it doesn't take away how damn entertaining it is. No, it demands that, repeat viewings, which is even more important. It's the complete and, inverse of that, which is great. And that, and that, to me, at the end of the day, is why I'm going to take this film. I think it is Fincher's most entertaining. This man is a serious, heavy guy. You know, <laughs> I watched three of his films today, back to back to back, and it was a depressing, brutal time. <clears throat> Fight Club is a ball of fun. It features Brad Pitt at his absolute apex, the final shot is as cliche as it's become, I still find to be gorgeous, both aesthetically and thematically. And, and like I said, it's entertaining and it's popular. It is probably his most popular film. And that is something that we have to account for when we look at the overarching careers of these guys. How big were they and how fun were they? And for Fincher, this is his film for that. Now it's probably a good time to mention that I have interviewed David Fincher and he was very intimidating from an intellectual standpoint. So when you say he's like a, a heavy dude, yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, oh my God. What did you talk to him for? I interviewed him and Tim Miller at the same time for Love, Death and Robots on Netflix. I, I had a very brief time with them, but uh, yeah, David Fincher, he has a sense of humor, absolutely, but he is a, a tough nut to crack. I would yeah, say. oh my God. I would, dude, I would be sweating bullets. I gotta I, be honest. I was. With you. And, and I consider myself a pretty professional reporter, but that was, that was a little bit difficult to navigate. Yeah, yeah. It also, I was only supposed to interview Tim, Tim Miller, and about an hour before, they're like, hey, would you mind if David Fincher joins? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, really. Uh, I can't do that. Sorry. Of Damn, course. An, an hour to prep for Fincher, that's a crime. Yeah. That's a crime. So, All right. So, do you want to touch on Fight Club before you take your next pick? So Fight Club was my pick. I assumed you were going to take it in this slot. I would have had you not. Uh, wow. I didn't I, expect that from you. I did uh, not expect that from you. Well, I'm about to explain why. It's, it's hard for me to rebuttal when I agree so well, because I think it is a takedown of toxic masculinity long before the term really ever existed in the zeitgeist, which is further proof such as many of his films, that Fincher is very well ahead of the curve thematically. Uh, it's the darkest of comedies with fantastic performances, elite direction, and like we've talked about, it benefits from a third act twist that invites repeat viewing. Uh, overall, it infuses this intentionally silly and childish, childish philosophical musings with very detailed satire of Y2K materialism and machismo, which, which I love. And, you know, overall, I think the feeling you get from Fight Club is that it, there's a real rage to it, a real anger. But much like that turn of the century period, there's no real concrete place to channel it. And that works both as a pro and a con for the movie. But I think because it's both a positive and a drawback, it actually makes Fight Club the more compelling watch and the more interesting topic to debate and talk about all these years later, where some of his other films maybe don't generate that such as my pick, now that Fight Club is gone, Seven. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. Body was found on Tuesday morning. I hate this city. I'm going to get who did this. This will be the very definition of swift justice. There are two more bodies, two more victims. This guy is methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. He's laughing at us. Which, again, I think is a damn good movie overall, but was not perhaps my, my first choice in this slot. But here, I'll, I'll lay out my argument. One criteria I grade films on, and I do think this is a fair criteria overall, is memorability. So something like Gone Girl, which, which I really like, and is a commercially viable film is not nearly as memorable thanks to Seven's truly haunting final twist. Uh, before we get to that iconic sequence, Fincher revels in his go-to lane, which is this pseudo-psycho crime drama genre. Uh, the film, like you said, and I agree, is relentlessly brutal, 
endlessly dour, but the tight performances from Pitt and Morgan Freeman, who are expertly cast, probably his best cast movie overall, uh, they really help to keep the momentum bubbling throughout the entire film, despite that intentionally grim tone that you, again, were accurate to point out. Yes, Seven is a gruesome film with some visuals that are genuinely hard to swallow, but it's also an extremely captivating murder mystery that is hell-bent on kind of exposing the hypocrisy and personal flaws at every level of society in that mid-late 90s period. And in retrospect, I look at it more as this extremely accomplished postmodern horror film than I do as a straight up crime drama. And through that lens, I actually think it ages pretty well. Calling it horror is very apt of you because I watched today with my sister. And when I turned it on, she was like, is this a horror movie? Just by the general tone and vibe. And I was like, yeah. well, it is horrifying, but it's not technically a horror movie. But what I, I want to ask you is this, because this is what I found on my watch. Don't you think Seven holds up better as an ideal, as the idea of Seven and that iconic ending than it does a pound-for-pound film? Do you really enjoy the movie itself? I guess on first watch, the pure shock and awe of the crime scenes uh, boosts the dramatic tension. But once you've seen it a few times, it doesn't become dramatic. It becomes only gruesome and therefore vacuuming the entire tension out of the film. There are no twists. There are no major reveals. The only propulsive scene, and it's a great scene, is that chase scene. Um, But beyond that, I feel like Seven exists as a more complete product in our minds than it does on the actual page. Well, I understand where you're going with that, but I would say because Fincher is able to mold and graft uh, neo-noir thematics and stylistic choices onto what I've said now is a postmodern horror movie, I believe it absolutely reinvents the murder mystery crime drama for that period of time in a really, really exciting way. I also think it was brilliant to never name the setting, the location, the city that it takes place in, because it gives us this feel. Yes, of, I was Googling that today. I was like, what fucking city is this? It, yeah. it, it, it draws it out of you. Exactly. And I think that's a really great intentional move because it empowers the horror of this film in which this nameless city that could be mine, it could be yours, it could be anywhere in America is haunted by our baser humanity. This is essentially a drawing of each layer of hell and the disgusting individuals at every level that populate it. And it could be right next door to you and and you wouldn't even know. So I I actually believe it is pretty thrilling. And like I said, memorability is really important. And those last few scenes are some of Fincher's best work. Now I agree throughout the film, it can be grading at times. I think you make a good fair point, but I do believe that that ending stacks up with really any thriller of the last 30 years and when you can land the plane effectively which we've seen time and time and again not only in film but with uh beloved tv series is arguably the hardest aspect of storytelling and he does so in the best parts of the movie that to me is a hat tip for sure put it like this rarely do does anyone for any project say wow the ending was the best part of that exactly now what I can say about where it takes place is I ruled out New York because when the lawyer is talking to Mills and Somerset explaining the details of Kevin Basie's surrender, he says that we have to leave at 6 p.m. And when Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box shows up, that's at 7.01. Nowhere that desert-like is an hour outside of New York. So that one is off. I agree logistically, but I do want to caveat that to everyone listening that Eric Italiano thinks Gotham is a city in New Jersey. I, so, I don't think. I've proven it. Okay. I've got the receipts. I've okay. got the receipts. I get, I'll, I'll tweet them if I have to. I will. Even, even <laughs> though it's an amalgamation of Chicago and New York City, we're going okay. to say it's a New All Jersey right. we're, city. We're going to do this now? Eric. We're going to do this now? Let's, let's do this on a new, a different podcast. We could do it. We, we, we could do 
a standalone podcast. Where is Gotham? <laughs> All right. So does that mean I'm up next? Yes. Your, your pick, my friend. Do you have a guess of where I'm going to go here? I, I do because we've been aligned, but I also might not because we, we diverge in weird places that I don't what expect. Do you, what do you think I'm going to take here? I'm not going to say because it could impact how it's the not. draft strategy goes out. No, you shoot, you shoot. All right, Brandon, because this is where this draft officially goes off the rails. And I will be honest with whether I was right or wrong. Because, well, this is a good litmus test for how well you really know me. Had I not gotten my first two picks and they weren't so strong, I wouldn't be going down this route. Okay, I would be, okay. I, I'm definitely wrong. I would be going a safer route. I would take, you know, Gone Girl or some shit. Um, because I actually, and I think you pointed out, Gone Girl is his most financially successful film, I, if I believe. Yes. So I'm pretty sure it topped 100 million worldwide. And I watched Gone Girl today, and did you read the book? I did read the book. Okay, so I read the book. Well, no, sorry. I did the book on tape back when I was in college. I worked in a literal cornfield, like straight up labor, right? And uh, Didn't you go to Rutgers? Yeah, but, but this is during summer break. So I yeah, lived at yeah. school and worked at the, like, like, we had, like, you know, corn, but for science. They did, like, science on it. And, and I worked there in the sun. So you were pre-interstellar, basically. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So I did this. So I did this book on tape and it was probably the first and last book on tape I did. But man, I ripped through it. What an awesome book. Yeah, for sure. That said, the impactfulness of the film was weakened because I knew what was coming. I bring this up because I want to say I can appreciate how mind fucked people were seeing Gone Girl for the first time on film. Just having their caps blown off completely. <laughs> like, seriously, could you imagine not knowing? You know, that's one of the, that's probably an all time film twist if you didn't know. Combine that with a career turning around performance from Ben, a decade best work from Rosamund Pike, who was great it, in it. It being a financial monster, uh, more so in the context of his films. And if I felt I was losing this draft right now, I would take that. But I'm not. I'm going all hard here. We're going right off the rails because with my third pick, I am Man. taking The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. What if I told you that I wasn't getting older, but I was getting younger than everybody else? Daisy? It's me, Benjamin. Oh, my God. We always said you were different. I think you really are. Everybody feels different about themselves, one way or another. We all going the same way. Just taking different roads to get there, that's all. I want to remember us just as we are now. You're on your own road, Benjamin. What's it like growing younger? I can't really say. As you've said previously, one of your favorite Fincher films. Brandon, this this movie cracks my top 10 of all time. Which, listen, I like this movie, but there's a reason of my seven choices I have written down, you know, notes for, it's not one of them. So, and I think that that speaks to the, why this is such a hot, takey pick. For some reason that I will never understand, the general public seems to shit on this film. Now, when I, when you and I talk about Fincher and Mank, I've said to you, I don't want Fincher doing a film about old Hollywood and screenwriting. I want Fincher being, being Fincher, murder and disgustingness and filth. But in the case of the Curious Case, this is, <laughs> this is, that was nice. This is David Fincher wading into the world of historical epic romance, which is a genre that he has no business being in. It's pretty much a David Fincher fairy tale. Combine that with Brad Pitt, like a, like a 40 year old Brad Pitt 
carrying the entire film on his shoulders. And you have what is Fincher, who I think is one of my five favorite directors and one of the best of my lifetime. This is his most romantic and soulful and heartfelt film. And maybe it is a result of the age that, that I saw it. Maybe it's my romantic nature that causes me to feel the way that I do about it. But the combination of this sort of tale of a lifetime combined with what amounts to sci-fi, because it is sci-fi, is to me the perfect combination of all the things that I want in a film. A, it's grand. Huge, huge movie. B, it's got an incredible director, an incredible star. C, there's elements of sci-fi, romance, drama, comedy. It has it all. And while I understand the critiques of the film, i.e. it's inherently silly, it looks silly, when you take a subject material like Curious Case and put it in the hands of someone like Fincher, the result to me is a cinematic fairy tale. It's somewhere between Forrest Gump and Big Fish, you know? And that film has just always resonated with me. Not on a, and you'll notice, whereas my first two picks, I was laying on thick with the sort of intellectual breakdown. That's not the case here. I don't have definitive, explainable reasons for why I adore this film, except for the fact that I do. And I think that a natural draw to a project, feeling like you could relate and connect to something, to the way that I do in this film, is a powerful feeling. And anytime that you find that, regardless of what that film may be, you hold on to it and you defend that shit. And you don't let anybody tell you differently. So I don't care if this costs me the draft, and I don't care if this invalidates everything I've ever said about film on this podcast. I love this movie, and I was always going to take it. Well, I'm going to give you bonus points for your impassioned, beautiful, eloquent, articulate defense of your choice, which also reveals who you are as a movie lover, which I greatly respect. And you know what? Just a brief applause for, for a beautiful movie <laughs> speech in a conversation about movies. Now, having got that pleasantry having said out of that, the, you're you know, a fucking like, moron. So I won't say you're a fucking moron because I do like the curious case of Benjamin Button overall, but I believe it is Fincher's most manufactured feature length film, especially of the kind of peak Fincher era that, that we've been in since 2000 ish. I believe that it is as sanitized a story as Fincher has ever told. It is a worst Forrest Gump, which is a recreation that was rather needless, pointless, and not parallel or comparable to a better version of that story. It feels not curious at all because I don't really think it's that engaging of the story. If you strip away the very, very well done art direction and the kind of CGI sci fi hook, you're left with a rather paint-by-numbers love story, which is not Fincher's strong suit. Now, again, I want to emphasize that I do actually like this film overall, but I believe it's patched together with whimsy and hopeful optimism about two star-crossed lovers and less a concrete, cohesive story that engages and compels at, at each direction and with each character's choices. So... I believe that in terms of Fincher's resume, you are choosing a lesser film that is also a little bit creatively bankrupt. And I don't want to accuse Fincher of being that because he's certainly proven time and time again that he is someone who puts his creative vision above all. And yet this feels as pre-cleaned as any PPE in a hospital. You know, this is going through... Yeah. And I agree with sanitizer. that. But now, and even though I also name-checked this film, this has a lot more on its mind than Forrest Gump. 
Listen, I, I I know it's become on vogue and very chic to hate on Forrest Gump. To shit Gump. on both of these movies. To shit but on I, both of these I movies. I love Forrest Gump and think it's a, a beautiful exploration of humanity, but even I, if it is pro-military industrial just, propaganda. <laughs> and, and I think that the idea of this film, and it's boiled down to in a well-directed scene, the scene where, what's her, her name is Daisy, I believe, where she gets hit by a car. And I'm her- sorry, Eric. I'm, I'm just going to interject you really quickly. I apologize for interrupting, but on our Twitter in which you teased uh, this upcoming episode, the David Fincher movie draft, someone just responded, oh, you mean the last draft where Eric Eitel destroyed Great Catsby? <laughs> I just wanted to point that out, that the fans, the fans have the receipts. I still think mine is more intellectually stimulating, but that was hilarious, and I respect well- that fan for talking shit. Well, Sorry, please continue with your answer. You this may uh, this may be your chance to to come back and tie up the series because I am I am taking a risk here. A calculated risk. Limb. You know this this was the uh, this was the surprise first pick, Reggie Bush number right. two. You know we so, don't know what's going on. So let me say that I think the you know this is a film that deals with the ideas of fate and time and how those two things impact who you are and who you love. Uh, and I think that's all wo- wonderfully distilled down to the scene where Daisy gets her leg broken and how all of these little things have to go right and or wrong for her to be in that place at that time. That's a powerful idea to me, the idea that we're passengers of our own life. And that's what this film tries to explain. Let me just, as I like to do on this show, Speak on Brad Pitt's run from 07 to 09. Ocean's 13, the assassination of Jesse James, Burn After Reading, Curious Case, and Inglorious Bastards. Damn, that's a nice run. That is a, that is one of the, uh, because I think the last time we talked about this was Leo from like 04 to 06. While this doesn't compare to that sort of run, this is a man at the peak of his powers. Right it doesn't here. compare, but it arguably may be the more intriguing run. Brad Pitt is the more intriguing actor, I think, because he is, Leo is only willing to be Leo in every movie. He needs to be the main attraction. Brad Pitt will pop up as this idiot gym staff employee as the third lead in Burn after reading and absolutely crush it. Although he I will is, say Leo was the third lead in Django Unchained. Uh, okay, okay, that's fair. But Tarantino parts are a different class of film. Well, you know? Coen brothers are a different. Like, those are both guys where I think yeah, these yeah, types yeah. of levels would be like, yeah, you know what, I want in. I just think that Brad Pitt, and now that he's finally gotten his Academy Award, is getting the shine that he deserves. Uh, and also because he's just an awesome, decent guy. So watching his, like, last two years of like Hollywood deciding like, all right, we're going to give Brad Pitt all the love that we should have the, the previous 10 years has been a thrill for me. The last time the world was collectively happy was when Brad Pitt and Parasite won. That's the last time that I could like recall life on earth being good. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I respect your defense of this movie, but I, I do respectfully think you may be, and conflating now, the 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 sci-fi journey with actual thematics and, and character building. That's I, fair. I think it it's but I think you're doing I, I think you're doing the same thing with seven. I think you're looking at it more of an ideal than an actual product, which well, could very well be the case that I'm doing right now, and that's fine. That's fair. I would say that the curious case at no point does it is it not apparent that this movie is trying very hard to be profound while attempting to curate your emotions in a way that I think Forrest Gump accomplishes in a much more organic manner with actually a lot more thematic heft behind the innate goodness of humanity. Whereas this is a little bit more, more plotting and scattershot. Now, before we move on from this film, let me ask you, why do you think Fincher made this project? Because it, if you look at the films he's made, it stands out to such a degree. Ready, watch. I will list them off right now. I believe, and this is one of our junk facts that we always caveat yes, each episode. Yes, please. Love a good junk fact. I Hold believe on, I've read. Yeah, hit me. Hit me with, with Fincher's run. 
Alien 3, 7, <laughs> The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room, Zodiac, Curious Case, Social Network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, and Mank. Damn, Why? I completely forgot about Girl with Dragon Tattoo, actually. <laughs> I, I, I've probably seen that once, and I don't remember any, anything about it. But so what We I, watch I it ask, better than you remember, trust me. What I want to ask you is, during this sort of middle part of his career, he diverges into more, I don't know, not mainstream, but more swallowable topics. And why do you think that is? You said you had a great junk fact for us. I believe I, I have a, a junk fact. I, I, I can't vouch for its 100% authenticity, but I believe I remember reading, and you guys will have to fact check me at home, that Fincher wanted to make The Curious Case of Benjamin Button in the 90s, but the CGI and prosthetic work wasn't where it needed to be for him to capably do that. So this was his passion project. I, I believe so. Now, again, we're going to have to fact check that one. Okay. I vaguely remember reading about that. Interesting. Because it, when, you, when you just look at his films, it does. It sticks out like a sore thumb. But I'm thankful for it. So that is enough about my love of a <laughs> probably not that great film. Please, well, Brandon, the floor I, is yours. I respect that you went for it, man. You chucked up a Hail Mary. But uh, unlike the Chargers this week, you, you completed the Hail Mary and were able to score. And they weren't <laughs> right. because they're Thank a terrible you. franchise, sadly. Speaking of which, I bet that game. I had the Bills. And whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> what, you... what an emotional roller coaster. As oh, a fellow good. gambler. Oh, oh my man. My man. Forget All right, about it. so, man, Girl with Dragon Tattoo, I don't know why, but I kind of spaced on that movie. That that would have been on my, my list of potentials, but right now, I'm going to go with Gone Girl. I feel like something to be jettisoned if necessary. I feel like I could disappear. The hallmark of a sociopath is a lack of empathy. Amy lost a lot of blood in there, and then somebody mopped it up. Why do they mop up the blood if they're trying to stage a crime scene? Whatever they found, I think it's safe to assume that it's very bad. I'd finally realized I am frightened of my own husband. I would draw you, as if you do in a deposition, what to say, what not to say. A trained monkey? A trained monkey who doesn't get lethal injections. She's going to eat you alive. You assaulted her? It's not good enough for you? I hit her? It's not even close. Absolutely not. I never touched her. And yeah. I'm going I'm to make my case with the... With the first concession that, no, Gone Girl is not his best film overall. But what it is, is a dark mystery that trades seven serial killer stylings for a domestic tale of terror. I think here, Farcher Fincher very smartly embraces the inherent craziness of the story, really letting the characters sink into their completely indefensible decisions and personality flaws. I think a more traditional director adapting this book would really try to polish these turds and kind of spoon feed them to audiences as like redemptive people. Instead, Fincher's like, no, both of these characters are pieces of shit, but I'm going to peel back layers to the point where you are like, man, I cannot look away. And part of that is the absolute acknowledgement, honestly and openly, that Gone Girl is soap opera trash in the hands of a twisted mastermind who elevates the already excellent airplane novel material to true crackerjack thriller heights, which I love. In typical Fincher fashion, Gone Girl is this dark, moody, atmospheric, downward spiral of characters because all of his films are really about downward spirals and the inability to get out of your own way. Yes, and very well said. And while Gone Girl might not have much to say for itself from a thematic, you know, messaging standpoint, it's one hell of a juicy time watching it try to slink its way into a thesis statement in beautifully crafted fashion. So I don't necessarily think Gone Girl is a better film than Girl with a Dragon Tattoo now that that's back on my radar. But A, it's, it is his most commercially viable one, which we've said is an important criteria. And two, he gets a arguably a career best performance from both Ben Affleck, who was not necessarily considered that great of an actor until this recent renaissance. Rosamund Pike delivers A plus work. And Oof. frankly, it's extremely Oof. rewatchable because it is commercially viable. Girl with Dragon Tattoo, really good. I've rewatched it recently. Highly recommend you do so. Gone Girl is an easier, like, oh man, I haven't seen that in a minute. Let me throw that on. So I think yeah. rewatchability plays a role. So I I'm going to stick with Gone Girl. Mindhunter was also in the running for my last pick. See, that would have been braver. 
That would have been brave. You got to go out on a limb to win these drafts. I think I still it, think I've got you. So wait, all right. All it right. was it was listen. It was in the running, but at the end of the day, I asked myself, what do I love more, pound for pound, movies or TV? And I love movies more. All right. So I'm gonna respond to that pick, and then we'll run through our teams, and then we'll just list the the ones that we did not pick. So Gone Girl is, and as I said to you before, I wish I could view the film in the point of view of not knowing the twist. That would have helped because the holy shit moment actually feels like you dropped a deuce. I cannot, I can't imagine what people in theaters felt when they saw Pike cut that dude's throat. I mean, that is one of the most visceral film moments, not only of all time, but or not, not of all time that I've seen, especially in a popular film. Like if you think about how commercially successful this was and how gruesome it is. You know what yeah. I mean? Like between the I mean she just let the blood spill on her. The depictions of violence and rape in this are a lot. But that said, despite its grotesqueness, whereas seven makes it feel like a job to watch, as you said, this feels like a thrill. You are apt even if you know what's coming, you're still waiting for how it's gonna unfold next because of how expertly wound up it is much like Uh, the book it's a page turner of a movie yeah exactly exactly especially if you don't know i do think fincher could use for you know the same way that seven had that little set piece chase scene at around the halfway point that'd be very hard to work in this film i do think it needs it i do think after a while the detective work becomes redundant once the audience becomes aware that she's still alive like you know she's alive but yet that's sort of the same time where they arrest nick don and they find the shed so i feel like the dramatic stakes are sort of vacuumed because you know that well if she's alive then he's gonna get off the hook somehow that's Uh, a fair point but i think the cat and mouse game between them two actually fills in that back half as uh, soon as that happens totally does the clearly dumber Nick trying to outwit <laughs> her is very enjoyable. And that's why Ben is so incredible in this role and why Fincher has been very vocal about why he cast him. Usually what you want in your star is for the audience to have no preconceived idea of who this guy is. That, he could, that you could see them fill any role. Uh, the Christian Bales of the world, the Daniel Day Lewis's. Ben Affleck was cast in this role because he is Ben Affleck and our audience relationship with him. And the way that that works to his general air of stupidity and smugness in this film contradicted with Ben's intellectual smugness in real life, I think just works so well. So whereas you said Seven probably has the best casting, I think this does. The stunt casting of Neil Patrick Harris and Tyler Perry work very well. You've got some heavyweights like Carrie Coon and Rosamund Pike putting in so much work. And then you've got Ben at the center of this all playing as this object of obsession more than an actual person, which is what he's been at times in his life. And it's a very, and it's pieces are, I think it's pieces are greater than the sum of its parts. That's that's a fair criticism, I think, overall. I just want to quickly list out from 2010 to 2016, there were there's several, you know, forgettable movies in this run that I won't mention, but Affleck had The Town, Argo, Gone Girl, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Now you can say what you want about that latter one, and we certainly have on this pod, but in terms of a renaissance of an actor, that's a nice run. That is comeback completed. He got Dramatic praise for his work in God Girl. He got awards praise for his work on Argo. He, he made he won. A, he made right. He made a successfully viable crime drama in the town, and then he became fucking Batman. So like that. Like is, also in there is Runner Runner and To the Wonder, forgettable movies. But overall, I've that's never a great even six. Heard of To the Wonder? Oh my god, that must be atrocious. Oh my god. But in terms of a six-year run. Way to go, Affleck. Oh, yeah. I, and I look, that is, 
And Ben is on the verge of probably yet another comeback. Yeah, starting <laughs> so, with the way back, which was very solid. And the which way he was back, very good and then it. he's got the last duel. He signed on to direct a new project, which is escaping me right now. But he's got his promising. Batman send-off in The Flash. Yeah, so tons of stuff for Ben. Great work in, in Gone Girl. Brandon, this was a super fun draft. Should we run back through our picks? Yes. So you hit me with your team. I'll hit you with my team. And then we can talk about the also rands that we were considering. All right. So with the number one overall pick, I took the social network. Then I took Fight Club. And then I took the curious case of Benjamin Button. Strong trio overall. I think your first two are stronger in terms of overall Fincher projects, but strong three. I mean, I could have sniped Gone Girl from you, and then this would have been a blowout again. But I, I figured, you know what? I'll play nice. <laughs> Your altruism is misplaced, my friend. <gasps> I went with Zodiac, then I went with Seven, and then I went with Gone Girl. That is a great list. Pound for pound, that is. A... The key is going to come down to how much does my curious case of Benjamin Button defense resonate with film fans? I also think, Eric, that having the social network, probably the majority of audiences' number one pick in this draft will offset any controversy surrounding Hopefully. Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Hopefully. I, I plus, think you've got it. Plus, people, don't forget how brave I was by picking Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I am the epitome of bravery here, sitting on my couch. <laughs> well, listen, man, you're, you keep benefiting from having the first pick, but I still like mine pound for pound because there's less... Uh, low floor than yours, for sure, right, for in sure. my opinion. All right, now, so some what... I was also considering, oh, please, like yes, I mentioned, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, ones that popped back into my consciousness. I, I think because Fincher's IMDb page is so cluttered, I just kind of missed it when I was doing my research. Right. Uh, but that's a damn good film. Mindhunter, which I think is better, even though it's only two incomplete seasons, than House of Cards, which is seven or eight not-so-good seasons with some good yeah. stuff in there. Uh, I also was considering Panic Room, which is an underrated gem, I think, on his filmography. Certainly not a... So what I wrote in my notes was, if the social network is Fincher's LeBron James, then Panic Room is Drew Holiday. Not an MVP candidate, but a steady, reliable, reliable, consistently above-average performer that never fails to disappoint, even if greatness isn't really within its grasp. I also am impressed but with Panic Room because it's really, really, really hard to make a good chamber piece. A chamber piece is like a one-setting premise. And right. the fact is Fincher, Fincher pulls it off with a plum. Now, and then on top of the ones that you named, we left on the board Alien 3, which, you know. Obviously we did. And The Game, which is not a bad movie. But I just think I've seen it in, once and never, never thought about yeah, it. Yeah, when comparing it to the heights that, that, that this guy can reach, it's not even close. But that said, the game is a more so than Fight Club and Seven, the sort of ultimate 90s thriller, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just a great 90s movie. Why that film is not on, like, AMC and TNT more <laughs> confounds me. His next film, Mank, from what we've all heard, is incredible am i excited for it you're gonna no. hate it really why you i, I haven't seen, it, seen it already uh, i haven't seen know. it but i think based on our conversations in the trailers you're gonna hate it i might hate it let's see i'm more yeah. excited for it than you are so that comes out friday i would definitely suggest checking it out we'll probably talk about it next week not a full pod but we'll give it 10 or 15 perhaps because as far as we're concerned. I would say that Fincher is one of the most influential directors of our lives. Is that fair I, to say? Yeah, I would say that. And I would say he's one of my favorite directors, you For know, sure. ever. I, he's definitely in my, I can't list all the directors off the top of my head, but definitely like a top 10 guy for sure. All right. Beautiful. So I think that's it. All right, guys. Well, we're going to post our results on Twitter with the draft order, so everyone knows Eric oh. is talking all the first picks. Oh, he's putting the caveats already. <laughs> he knows he's done. Oh, my God. I still think mine's a more consistent trilogy than yours. Oh, but nervous. Social Network is going uh, to give you some, some points right off the bat. And, guys, make sure to uh, not only vote, but tune in on Friday when we go back to our regularly scheduled Mando recap review analysis evaluation. And in the uh, meantime, when you want to bitch at us for our picks in this Fincher draft, 
follow us on post cred pod. You can bitch at us as much as you want, as long as you follow us. Um, as I said last week, leave us a review, please. That would be great. Also, i.e. Mando. Brando. Let's still love that. The Mandalorians like CGI guy or something tweeted that these last three are like a downhill sprint. I, I don't know if that's his exact words, but the gist of it is that from here on out, we're in for it. I'm, I'm ready, and we will be ready to break it down, answer all your questions, and get into the nitty-gritty each week that we got episodes left. All right, y'all. Cool. Till so Friday. next time. Peace. I'm going to make him an offer, again. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. bring this back again for a new concept of course yeah we'll just keep doing drafts you know when uh like when soul comes around we pixar, pixar. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah, that's yeah, gonna yeah. that's gonna be impossible so, Fuck, yeah, dude we'll just... I, I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say toy story 3 off the top of my head oh my god i gotta rewatch this because three doesn't hit with me the way that it that. does the most